I invite you to open up your Bibles this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 as we continue in our sermon series entitled, So What? What difference does the resurrection of Jesus make? 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This morning we'll be continuing on at verse 35. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 35. But someone will ask, How are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory." So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven, as was the man of dust. So also are those who are of the dust, and as is the man of heaven. So also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For, the per for this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank you for your word this morning. Lord, we ask that you would take your truth and transform our thinking. We ask that you would take your truth and elevate our thoughts to the hope you have given us. We ask that you would take your word this morning and convict us, correct us, challenge us, comfort us, and equip us for a life of faithfulness to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Every Saturday morning about 5.30 a.m., I thought, I need to get the Sunshine Food Store first. 
I was working for Pepsi at the time, stocking shelves on the weekend with 12 packs of pop and two liters and those things. And I worked at Sunshine, one store, and Hy-Vee was the other store. Well, I wanted to get to Sunshine first because they only had one power jack. And whoever got there first, the Coke guy or the Pepsi guy, got to use the power jack. Not only was there one power jack, but this one power jack drained power really quickly. So I always wanted to get there first, so I would have first crack at the power jack. Because if you didn't get to use the power jack, you got stuck with the manual jack thing. I'm not sure if you've used a manual jack before. And a full pallet of pop. It's not exactly easy labor. Well, I'd always get there first before the Coke guy so I could use the power jack. However, then what I had to do next is I had to start with the small pallets of pop and big up, build up to the large pallets of pop because this power jack would drain power really fast when it would carry the large pallets of pop. So sometimes this power jack worked beautifully, full speed ahead, zoom in, zoom out. Other times, you'd be going along with this power jack and it would just come to a slow crawl right in the middle of the store. You see, this power jack drained power really fast. And not only did it drain power really fast, it didn't give you a heads up when it was going to drain power. It was just on its own schedule. You know, this morning, I would contend that you and I are a lot like that power jack. At sometimes we're full speed ahead, going one direction, all out, fast. Next moment though, slow speed and sometimes in a completely opposite direction. And it's not because our power is being drained. I would contend this morning, I think the Apostle Paul would contend from 1 Corinthians 15, that it's because our hope is being drained. You see, this morning, we don't have a power drain problem. We've got a hope drain problem. Hope is constantly swirling away. You and I always, we do not always live with an eager expectation for what is to come. You see, as the people of God, we're supposed to be the fork people. You know what it means to be the fork people, right? What, are they, what does it mean when they say, keep your fork? Dessert's coming, but let's be honest. The best is yet to come. Who turns in their fork when they say, keep your fork? You can leave if you do, but think. We are supposed to be fork people as the people of God. In other words, the best is yet to come. But so often, we put the fork down. And so often, when hope is draining, our faithful living is draining right alongside of it. This morning in 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul finishes this whole chapter about the resurrection by saying, therefore, my beloved brothers. In other words, he's saying, hey, in light of everything I just said about the resurrection, he says, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. In other words, the Apostle Paul is saying, hey, you should have one direction, one speed, one purpose. In other words, he's saying, you should be like a freight train always moving forward, unstoppable. Why? Because of everything I just told you about the resurrection, about the future hope. You see, in the Bible, when the Bible proclaims hope, when the Bible proclaims a promise about the afterlife or a promised future, 
The purpose of proclaiming that promised future is to change our present living. If you look at any prophecy in Isaiah and Jeremiah, you might read that sometime and be like, what is going on here? And then you may take it one step further and say to yourself, well, none of these promises ever came true for the people that the promises were given to. Well, God is outside of time, and God is giving this promised future to different people groups with the hope that this promised future would change their living in the present. We don't have the, the beauty of getting a systematic theology book from God that says, this is what the afterlife is going to be like. What we get is little excerpts and different letters in the New Testament where the writers are trying to give a word of encouragement to people that are undergoing persecution or people that are starting to struggle in their faith a little bit. The writers just give them a little bit of a glimpse saying, hey, look what is to come, the transformation of your bodies and the glorious return of Jesus Christ. Now press on. And so the, the promised future should always change the present living. And so this morning, what we want to do is we want to get some clarity around the afterlife. We want to get some clarity around this promised future that God has for us so that that clarity can lead to present living faithfulness. What happens when there's not clarity? There's usually chaos. And what does chaos usually lead to? Despair. This last summer, I got stuck at home one day. Not sure how it happened, but... My wife was taking care of our daughter, but also taking care of another child this summer. And I stopped home for a little bit. She had to go somewhere. So I was here with our child, who I can normally handle, thing, alongside of another child, two-child situation, whole new ball game thing, thing. You see, it's like a domino effect. I don't understand why it works this way. But one starts crying. What does the other start doing? C crying. You would think one could rise to a level of maturity thing. And... <laughs> And understand, chaos ensues thing. I can't get either one to stop crying. Do you think in the midst of the chaos that I'm thinking, oh, this is glorious thing. The next half an hour is going to be amazing. Honey, take your time. Stop for another cup of coffee. No, 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 no. Chaos leads to despair. But clarity... Clarity can give us a picture that can help us enter into confidence in the presence. This morning, we can have clarity about the promised future that God has for us. And from that clarity, we can enter into a life of faithfulness. I would hope that we can cultivate a biblical hope that can become so ingrained in us that it becomes part of us. The problem is there's a lot of confusion about the afterlife. Just go to a funeral. And I know that I don't mean to speak light at all this morning of these situations. Most of us don't go to a funeral to be critical of what's being said. But if you go to a funeral and you reflect upon what's being said, a majority of what's being said actually is not proclaimed hope from the Bible at all. The basis for the hope are also the promise of what's taking place right now. If you want to know about the confusion, just look at your local bookstore. You go to a bookstore, sometimes the hottest selling books are what? A personal testimony of someone experiencing the afterlife. And who are they the hottest sells with? Christians. 
So Christians are buying all of these books about the afterlife, going to all these movies about the afterlife. And again, there's nothing wrong with it at all. These are books and movies. It's entertainment. That's, that's fine. However, what's happening is this. Christians are using that as the reference material, as the factual guide for the afterlife. When these books are basically speculation. And sometimes speculation that's not based at all on biblical revelation. What I want to do this morning is lay out some biblical revelation, and hopefully from that biblical revelation, then you can let your mind wander all you want, as long as it's based on biblical revelation. Now, there's a lot of speculation that happens a lot of times off of emotion and love. Think of youth sports for a second. My grandparents and my mom and dad used to come to all of my sporting events. My grandfather would, would show up, and if you would have asked my grandfather before any game, he would have said to you, oh, yeah, six or seven three-pointers coming from number 12 right there. My grandfather was not speculating on, based off of any logic or reason at all. It would have been 12 or 14 three-pointers. You see, what happens is when we get emotionally involved in something that's at stake for us, Sometimes our speculation just begins to go wild and it's not actually based off of any revelation truth from the Bible. But let's just try and understand some revelation truth so that we can think biblically, not for the purpose of thinking biblically, but for the purpose of living faithfully. This morning, God's Word should give us such a hope that we can think biblically, but we're not walking around saying, yep, we're thinking better biblically at King of Glory. That's not the goal. The goal is that we can live faithfully as followers of Christ. You see, the Bible gives us doctrine or teaching not so that we can take a test at the end and say, yep, I believed everything just right. The point of doctrine and teaching is to get us living faithfully as followers of Christ. There's going to be no exam at the end that says, well, did you follow exactly the Apostles' Creed beliefs? Did you, do you believe all these things? The point of those teachings is to help us live as God's people. So let's look to see if we can think biblically for the purpose of living faithfully. So when we talk about the afterlife this morning, I want to start with understanding a little bit of a timeline of what the Bible would lay forth for our life and the afterlife. So if you just think of a timeline, over here you have your life right now or my life we're living. At some point, all of us, unless Jesus returns, all of us are going to face death. So we have death. According to the biblical timeline then, what happens after death? According to the biblical timeline, after death, there's really two places that we would go after death. One of those places that we won't go into a lot today, but is called kind of Gehenna, is, is a place that's used to describe the afterlife for the unrighteous. This was basically a trash dump that was located outside of Jerusalem where trash was continually burning, and Jews would point to that and use that as the example of the afterlife for the unrighteous. And then Jesus used it also as a couple of times for an illustration about the afterlife for the unrighteous. Basically, a place of evil, continual burning, um, just to give a picture of the difficulty of that place. So the unrighteous go to this, what you would call um, just a burning spot of pain. Also then, after death, those who are in Christ, we are told from the Bible, go to a place that's described as paradise. 
So we see Jesus on the cross says to the other thief, today you will be with me in paradise. And then other plates in the Bible, we see the Apostle Paul say, I yearn to depart and be with Christ. And so when the Bible's talking about this paradise, a lot of times it uses the imagery of a wedding banquet. Now, when you and I think of a wedding banquet, we think of what? Two or three hours, some dancing, some toasts, da-da-da-da, good to go. Now, a wedding banquet for this group of people was not two or three hours. This was a seven-day party thing. And not just a seven-day party of, well, any leftovers in the fridge for the family on day two? This was a seven-day party where the finest wine was served. Are you listening, Stephen Kitt? Thing. Seven days of celebration. Thing. And then this is the imagery used to describe this paradise, that it's going to be a constant banquet where we're sitting at the table in the presence of who? Jesus, the King. Thing. And so it's just described this glorious festivity. That, that's where we go when we die, when we're in Christ. We're at this, this paradise. Now, we don't know a lot about this paradise. There are a couple of things we do know. One is this. We do not have our resurrected bodies at this paradise. So when we die and we go to paradise, it's basically our souls resting, partying in the presence of Christ. And one way it's described in the New Testament is the term sleeping. So for example, here in 1 Corinthians 15, it says, we shall not all sleep. He's meaning that some are sleeping right now or some are are dead right now. Other places it talks about sleeping. When you think of the concept of sleep, sleep kind of takes you out of the issue of time. You know, when you wake up in the morning, you're like, whoa, that was eight hours? That felt like 10 seconds. So when you're sleeping, the concept of time is gone. So like when, when we're dead in paradise, the concept of time is gone. So some think that when we die, we actually just fall asleep in the presence of Christ. And next thing you know, you wake up and Jesus will have returned and we'll have our resurrected bodies. But the whole purpose is that we're sleeping, resting in the presence of Christ in paradise. We don't know a lot more about what happens in paradise, but we know that our souls are in the presence of the risen King. We are at peace with Jesus. We can take great comfort and strengthen that this morning. So when we live here, then the moment comes of death. After death, we go into the paradise, into the presence of Christ. And now this is not the best way to describe it, but for lack of a better term, think of the current heaven or paradise as a glorified rest stop. Have you ever traveled in Minnesota? They've got really nice rest stops. Think, like automatic flushers and all sorts of stuff. Think. You also pay a lot of taxes in Minnesota, but that's an issue for another day. Think. But you could think of the current heaven as a glorified rest stop. That it's not the end game. You don't stay at a rest stop very long, right? Get a soda from the machine, maybe take a little bit of a walk, but you're not hanging out at the rest stop for eight hours. When's the last time you planned a family reunion for the rest stop? It's just that, a rest stop. The current heaven paradise is a rest stop. It's it's a moment where we're resting with Christ because then comes the next thing in the timeline, and that is the return of Jesus Christ. So Christ comes back, the trumpet sound, as it says here, the Bible describes it in a different way, comes on clouds. Just the main emphasis is, is that Jesus will return, 
When Jesus returns then, something else happens simultaneously. That's what we see here in 1 Corinthians 15, 51. It says, We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. So those who have died and are in paradise, when Jesus comes, boom, brand new body. Those of us who are remained, boom, brand new body, momentary. And then after that, Jesus establishes an everlasting kingdom. That's what we just see described today in the book of Revelation, chapter 21. Revelation is talking about this kingdom, this new heavens, new earth, a recreation that exists for eternity, where God's presence just encompasses everything and Jesus reigns over everything. This is our ultimate hope right here. This everlasting kingdom with brand new bodies. So what about those new bodies? I know you're thinking, so thank you for asking. Thing, What about those new bodies? We get a little bit of information about those new bodies in 1 Corinthians 15. The information that we get is glorious, imperishable, immortal, glorious power. Those are words used to describe this new body that we get. Imperishable. In other words... We will not rust. We will not decay. There will be no longer weird sounds coming from your body as a result of your aging process. Now, the ultimate picture that we get of this glorious new body is that if you look with me here at 1 Corinthians 15, verses 42 through 49, you might look at that and go, what in the world is this talking about? Man of dust, man of heaven. What it's doing is it's laying out the differences between Adam... Adam is used in the New Testament as a description of general humanity, of how we have been under the first created Adam, that we are mortal, that we are sinful. And then it's also talking about a second man here, the man of heaven, whose roots in origin come from heaven, Jesus himself. And so now it's saying, hey, yes, we all bear the image of Adam. We're mortal, we're sinful. But then it goes on to say, but at the resurrection, we will bear the image of Jesus. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 21, it says it very frankly of saying, we will be transformed to be like his glorious body. So if we want to know what our resurrection bodies will be like, the first place to go would be where? The resurrection of Jesus. And we see the resurrection of Jesus, what do we see? A physical being, not an alien. It's recognizable from the Gospels that this is a, a physical structure person that eats. Jesus eats in his resurrected body. Not only that, but we also get a little bit of glimpse that Jesus walks through walls. I'm speculating here a little bit, but I'm basing the speculation off of that we would resemble the image of Christ, that our ultimate hope is not that we're going to fly around in some clouds as a spirit, but our ultimate hope is that we're going to have brand new bodies in a physical world, a physical creation where there's no more pain, there's no more hurt, we're going to do things like eating, no vegetables allowed, and we are going to celebrate things. But our ultimate hope is that physical creation, that resurrection, just like Jesus himself. That's our destiny. We've got a little rest stop along the way, but that rest stop is glorious. It's in the presence of Christ. This morning, 1 Corinthians 15 gives us great clarity. Clarity that the future is a future of a resurrection where it's imperishable. A future where Jesus is reigning above all things. 
The central question for us from 1 Corinthians 15 is extremely personal. That is, do I bear the image of Jesus? You see, it's assumed in here that all of us bear the image of Adam. Every human being bears the image of Adam. In other words, we reflect the same nature, we reflect the same end game. The question is, will we bear the image of the man of heaven? To take us on a little bit of a journey, let's go back to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, humanity is created in the image of God. Shortly after, though, humanity distances itself from God in this thing called sin. When sin comes, we ruin the image of God. So that when you and I are born, when you and I turn our backs on God, what we're actually doing is we're no longer reflecting the image of God. But we're reflecting the image of Adam. We're reflecting the image of sin. We've lost the image of God. But then when Jesus Christ comes and lives on earth, Jesus reveals to the world the perfect image of God. He reveals to the world the perfect human prototype. And then when you and I come to faith in Jesus Christ, when we profess faith in Jesus Christ, we're recreated into the image of God. That's why we see language like in Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians where it says, be renewed in the knowledge of your Creator so that you can reflect the image of your Creator. So when we come to faith in Christ, what's actually happening is a restoration project. Everybody here this morning that is in Christ, you are a restoration project. God is seeking to restore His perfect image through you, His creation. And ultimately, that image is restored in the resurrection. But that restoration begins now when we are united to Jesus. The question is, do we bear the image of Jesus? First, on a very simple sense, have I come to faith in Christ? Not something we do, but have I professed the gift of faith that God has given me? Have I professed that faith in Jesus? And then secondly, probably where the majority of us are at today, is that we have professed that faith in Jesus. The question is, am I bearing the image of Jesus in my everyday life? You see, the beauty of the resurrection of Christ, it's not just a thing that's to come, but it's a thing that's coming right now. That we're actually supposed to be reflecting the image of Jesus through our character and our conduct right now. And then someday, we'll reflect the full image of Christ at the resurrection. Today, are you bearing the image of Jesus Christ? What happens when you go home today and you flip a light switch? Lights come on, thank you, yes. Lights come on. How many of you, when you flip the light switch, take a moment and think, where did that power come from? Nobody thinks about it. The only time you think about it is when? It doesn't work thing. But did you know that the power for that light switch, that power for that light is kind of traveling a little bit of a distance? It's being created somewhere and, and stored somewhere? When you look at your life today, do you see a light that is on? There's really only one way to have a light on and stay on. That's through the power that's created through the hope, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is the generator 
The resurrection of Jesus Christ gives us the hope. The hope then turns our lights on and allows us to live a life of faithfulness here and now because we know the best is yet to come. What would it look like for us to live as though the lights are on? Just look at the life of Jesus Christ. We'd love our neighbors as we love ourselves. We'd care for the widow and the orphan. We'd pursue purity. We'd pursue holiness. We'd pursue honesty. This is what it would be like to live as people of hope. We would reflect the image of Jesus Christ right now. One commentator put it best. Don Carson said, If you want to live in light of this glorious truth, put your hand on the plow and don't take it off till your work is done. Basically summarizing 1 Corinthians 15, 58. If we're going to live in light of the resurrection, what you're going to do is you're going to go to work right now. You're going to live right now pursuing the kingdom of God and you're going to look ahead and you're just going to keep on going because you know the best is yet to come. Keep your fork. And when they start messing around in the kitchen a little bit and start talking too long and you begin to wonder, is the dessert really coming? Or when life starts to struggle a little bit and family members maybe begin to perish and your flesh itself begins to struggle a little bit. Don't put the fork down. But hold on to your fork because the best is yet to come. Not because we can make it, but because Jesus has already done it. Hold on to your fork for Jesus has already conquered death, and the best is yet to come. Let us pray. Almighty God, right now I know there's a lot of people in this room and also outside of this room that are struggling, that have things going on in their own flesh, things going on in their own families. I know there's a lot of despair right now, God. God, I ask that you do a work with your word that you would capture those hearts with the hope of the resurrection and that you, O Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit would enable us to be transformed to reflect the image of Jesus to the world around us. God, I pray for each person in here this morning. I pray that you'd enable each of us to walk faithfully after you. God, we thank you for your patience with us. We thank you, O Lord, that you conquered death on our behalf. We thank you for the promised future. We ask now, O Lord, that you would change us to reflect that promised future. God, thank you that you are saving the best for us. In Jesus' name, amen.